Welcome to another episode of No Investment Advice. We've got Jack Butcher here. What's happening, dude? Good afternoon, gentlemen. How are we? you got the fresh trim. You want to let people see underneath that hat? Look at that. <laughs> Look at that rude boy haircut. Like, Tight we got as it comes, my friend. <laughs> we got Trunk fan, Shaky Hands fan, fresh Shaky off hands the CNBC. Fan. No What's CNBC. Happening? No CNBC this week. So <laughs> still that still too. CNB, CNBC appearance count is still at two. We should have a counter meter. How many times? Chevron <laughs> in comment. Okay, hold on a second. And, and uh, well, I'm here with Bilal, the you know the hostess with the mostest. Uh, but I actually wanted to ask Jack about uh Jack just sends brand new swag into our three way chat every week. He's always got new ones coming through. Uh, your newest one is insane, man. It, he has a T-shirt that just says NFT. And it's like a pun, so the T is T E E. How many of those are you going to sell? Are you going to sell a million dollars of those? No, not a million dollars of them. No, just it, and by the way, the the uh, embroidery on the T is the ERC seven two one, which is the Ethereum token that represents a non fungible <laughs> token. So it's got to be an in joke, you know. The title mm-hmm. of the piece is NFT, but then you have to you have to sort of get it to where. Well, do you remember Alex uh, Cohen last week, our first guest? He's saying. If you're going to sell one thing, I don't care what it is. There's a million dollars adjustable market. This yeah. one sounds like it has a million dollars adjustable market, to be honest. If you're a good enough marketer, I believe that's, I believe that could be true. You need Bilal on the, on the ones and twos on the Facebook <laughs> ads, mate, with the retargeting and the, you know, well, here, this is a thing. sales page. Well, Bilal's Wait until the NIA merch, man. We got, some, yeah. we got some stuff cooking. I think if people yeah. are following Jack on Twitter, we got some... We got some cool ones coming down the line as well. So, well, yeah. I think this is something that's not talked enough about because Bilal has always been the interviewer. So now he's about to get interviewed, dude. Can you <laughs> tell us about the dark arts? Like, I mean, what is your day to day job? Is it to make stuff like NIA merch pop? <laughs> no, it's, it's it's just digital ads. It's so boring, but yeah, that's what pays the bills, man. Yeah, I, I have a little agency, and I, I help basically startups. Nowadays, mostly startups like venture back startups who want to grow. This sounds like a pitch. I didn't ask you to ask well, me how come, this, but... how, come, how come our podcast doesn't grow faster, man? What the fuck's going on, bro? <laughs> Don't get me started, back, Trunk. Don't get me started. <laughs> yeah. No, but yeah, that's basically all I do, man. It's just uh, looking at numbers on a screen, the opposite of this. So, all yes. right. Well, the last thing I'll add, because I've already derailed this entire conversation, is you guys saw the GameStop. I mean, you sent me that tweet. They're, they're doing NFT, right? Did you guys know that they encoded a, a joke into the uh, the address? No. Uh, so if you go to the, the NFT uh, webpage for GameStop, I think whatever it is, GameStop.NFT or whatever, or um, if you look at the uh, uh, Ethereum address, it's 1337420. Mm, nice. Not bad, nice. right? You know their audience, man. Um, all right, boys, where should, we, where should we start? Because we've got a bunch to cover this week. We've got Apple um, repair stuff. We've got media deals with Amazon MGM to cover Trunk, Stanley Druckenmiller's conversation, the Biden budget, latest in crypto NFT world. So yeah, where, where do you want to start? Should we start with this Apple stuff? Because it's really pointed because Trung is struggling with his laptop right now. So why don't you kick it off, Trung? All right, man. So I'm, we're going to start here because this is just like a, a personal story. And I know people come here for investment advice and personal stories. So I freaking got a brand new MacBook Pro like a year ago. And my wife goes, hey, you should get Apple Care for that. And then I know everybody here always has the Apple Care combo, right? You go through the calculation in your head. It's like, oh, should I get Apple Care? For your iPhone, it probably makes sense, right? 
You're, you have a $1,500 phone you're carrying around. For a laptop, I go to my wife. I'm like, what do I need Apple Care for a laptop for? This thing's never leaving the room. It turns out you can still crack the screen. So Jesus. Well, how the hell did you, did you throw it out the window? You, I'm going to show you guys how I cracked it. Like, you know how it charges? Like this thing? Yeah. So I pulled it out and I, I closed my laptop. But the way that I pulled it and closed it, it had moved into the path of the laptop. <laughs> I closed it so hard. It cracked the screen. I'm like, oh, my God. So my screen's not working. I go down to Apple store. I did it yesterday. It's insane. I'm going to run you through the numbers because I'm sure I'm not the only person that's experienced this. I go to them. I'm like, Hey, crack the screen on my laptop. They're like, how'd you do it? Did you put the cord? I'm like, yeah. It's like, how do you know? It's like, it happens to everyone. So apparently this fucking thing happens to everyone where they're not careful pulling out the charger. So I go, I'm like, Hey, what are my options? He's like, you have two options. The first option is let me see what the trade-in value is for your brand new laptop. I paid $2,300 for last year. He goes, puts it, puts him a serial number into his machine. He goes, your trade-in value is $0. I'm like, are you fucking kidding That's insane. That's Dude, I'm like, how is this $0? I just bought this. And then he goes, types again. He's like, if you didn't break the screen, the trade-in value would be $700. And so this is where the kicker comes in. Do you know how much it costs to repair a screen? $700. So they assigned so zero value to the fucking laptop. And uh, it was insane. So my choices now are with this $2,300 laptop to pay $700 and have my laptop. I'm not doing that. I'm just out of principle. I refuse to do that. <laughs> or pay $700 and then sell it on Craigslist, right? But this all leads into the bigger thing, which is like a bunch of state regulators are rolling out legislation to make it so Apple makes shit easier to fucking repair, man. It's absurd. Have you guys ever broken an Apple product? Yeah, I mean, my AirPods, I literally bought the original AirPods and then like one month after the first year, so like 13 months in, one of them kind of messes up or I think the charge, like the battery life wouldn't last for like one call. So I go in and they're like, oh, you just missed the time. And <laughs> yeah, I'm like, oh, what, what do you know? Like, what coincidence? And then I'm pretty sure the same is about to happen with my AirPods Pro. Yeah. And it really hurts me. But like the truth is, I'm probably just buying another one. As yeah, much 100%. as it really pisses me off. But I'm like, they are really good. And I just see it as a sunk cost. I'm like, all right. I just kind of accept it with Apple. But it's, it's not very rational. But like, well, Jack, you, you got a bunch of tech shit going on. So you must have this all the time. I've, I, yeah, I've never broken a laptop, but <laughs> lost AirPods. And they, like whoever is working on those numbers is very smart. It's like, it's just enough to make you... Think, yeah i can't buy a new pair because i had one airpod lost and I, what were they 200 bucks when they came out and at the case and the other airpod and it's like yeah to replace the airpod is like 140 dollars and you're like what it's so yeah uh but it also doesn't make sense to keep the one airpod in the charging case and buy a new uh buy a new set so mate little uh it's a little criminal like small scale, small scale criminal well, economics going on there, isn't it? Well, you're gonna laugh because you said they have like the numbers guy. I mean, you know, it's not just a single guy. They probably have thousands of people. Oh yeah, of you. course. Well, I'll tell you the reason why it's funny is because if you read the book, uh, I saw this excerpt. I didn't even read it. I'm not gonna pretend like I read the book. I saw an excerpt from the book about the creation of the iPhone, and they have one employee, a full time probably guy, makes half a million a year. He negotiates glue prices. <laughs> This guy goes Dude, around the that's world. That's so funny. Just negotiating the price of glue, right? And, it, and it's worth it, right? Like he's going to save this company. Yeah, with, with billions of dollars, hundreds of billion dollars worth of 
Revenue makes oh, mate. Just, I, I looked this up a while ago. I can't remember why. Oh, when the, the last iPhone cycle came out, I was like, just curious how many iPhones have ever been produced? You guys know, you have, a, you have an estimate. I think there's been over a billion sold. Is that right? No, more than a billion. It's yeah. like 1.3 billion. If I oh, recall, can you imagine what that looks like? Can you imagine yeah. like piling those <laughs> in a warehouse or something? How much glue is that? <laughs> <laughs> well, dude, they sold over a trillion dollars. It's like Wait, well, also, I was going to do, do a list of uh, the best. Sorry, yeah. Bill, I mean, I'll, I'll do a super quick list, but like I wanted to do a list. I've been I'm noodling in my head of like literally the single best selling consumer products ever. So Apple's obviously maybe number one. Actually, Toyota Camrys and Corollas are probably up there. Uh, Viagra in the pill units is probably up there. The <laughs> pill uh, units. Uh, Lipitor, <laughs> the cholesterol drug is definitely up there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe tires. But like, if you look like, what, if you think about it, what are the single products that have been sold the most? Coke. In the history of mankind. Coca-Cola, yeah. Like the units. Coca-Cola, they, they, yeah. They <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do 1.7 um, billion servings a day. So that's what Your trunk, I think you posted this or someone else did. A, there was like a graph of the AirPods revenue compared to like Spotify, Twitter. Oh, or like someone someone posted this. Well, I can't remember the numbers, but the numbers are crazy. Like people oh, don't yeah, realize they, uh, the revenue from AirPods is greater than three, four public companies combined that people think of. It's uh, it's disputed, but the numbers probably between 20, 10 and 20 billion. Uh, yeah, it's bigger than all the companies you mentioned. But here's another crazy stat that I wanted to bring up. Apple Care, because this goes back to the repairing stuff, like whether or not to get Apple Care, fuck, honestly, at the end of the day, it probably doesn't actually make sense because they're only going to price a product that fucking makes sense for them, right? It's like going to the yeah. casino. You know they have at least a 5149 advantage. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Apple Care by itself does 7 to $10 billion a year. And just to tell you how insane that is, if you compare that to single line insurers like uh, a Liberty Mutual, Travelers, and for products, it would be the 11th largest insurer in the world. This is the thing about Apple and even Amazon, right? When you look at Amazon's advertising revenue, like that's a big thing. Like its ad revenue is bigger than Pinterest, Twitter, Roku combined, like times two. These, like the big, big tech companies, they have these fucking random business lines that are just milking it. So, yeah, uh, people don't even know that from the outside. Um, so, Trung, and also we should explain to people, you don't have a mic today because of this Mac situation. We spend yeah, <laughs> I, I'm back to, well, the, I'm back to my, the 20, well, you, I, I'll ask you guys about this. People say that the 2015 uh, MacBook Air is still like the greatest laptop ever. So, like, that's what, you know, when there's like a, a shoe release or a car that everybody looks back to, it's like, what, uh, Jack, what's the best Porsche it's like ever? The Jordans, the, the Jordans yeah. of Max. Jordan, Jordan 11. Oh, uh, uh, we'll ask Jack, what's the best car year for Porsche? Uh, heavily debated. I think, like, for me, it's like 89, 90. Right. So, so there's a year, there's a vintage, yeah. right? 20, the 2015 MacBook Air was just, it's just fucking perfect. So I'm back to it now. And uh, that's why the sound sucks and the video sucks. No, it's all good. So uh, let's quickly move on because we've got a bunch to go through today. L let's kick off with the media stuff because we're going to get to crypto, Druckermiller, Biden, but there's some interesting stuff going on. Amazon is buying MGM, right? I think it's like eight, nine, million, uh, eight, nine billion or something like that. Um, so first of all, what the hell is MGM for people who don't know? And uh, why are they doing this? Do you guys think? 
Well, I'll, I'll just list off the facts, but I want to ask you guys, because the crown jewel of MGM Studios is obviously James Bond, the James Bond franchise. And I know you guys are British cats. So I got some <laughs> questions for you. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you top line, 8.45 billion. Uh, they get 17,000 TV shows, like some killer ones, Fargo, Shark Tank, Survivor, 4,000 movies, including Rocky and the James Bond franchise. Uh, I'll give you the rationale. The rationale is pretty simple. James uh, Jeff Bezos said that, uh, uh, famously said, uh, every time we win a Grammy, we sell more shoes. It's just more lock-in for Prime. They have 200 million Prime subscribers in the world right now. And if you just, you know, you can, you don't want those guys to churn. And nobody churned from Prime right now anyways. I think first year resubscriptions for Prime are like 98%. And then second year, like 99%. It's obscene. It's the most absurd subscription business in the world, right? Yeah, and yeah. Uh, they have 200 million subscribers. So anything to keep those people locked in is worth it. I don't know if it's $8.5 billion worth it, but they clearly... The, if we were talking about Apple has pricing guys, we know Amazon got pricing guys and uh, they clearly think it's worth it. But the funny, the thing, uh, and the last thing I'll add is uh, they actually have, uh, I had no idea about this, I read about it yesterday. IMDb TV, have you guys ever heard of this? IMDb, you mean just the website? There's an ad supported free streaming service called IMDb TV. So a lot of people saying is this is actually a big boost to the ad business, which we just talked about. That's 22 billion a year. A lot of people don't know it exists, but like now you have content for this ad supported streaming service, which I literally had no effing idea existed, but apparently there's a hundred million subscribers on it. So that's all top line. Let me hit you guys. Who is the greatest Bond actor ever? As British oh, cat. On. That is hard. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I may be a controversial answer, but I'm going to say Daniel Craig. I, I was going to say on, the more bro. contemporary one. Yeah, that's hard to say, but he was a boss. The old well, school is, ones is, as well were, were great, but Daniel Craig is... Right? I think that is so. controversial. Until think, Idris well, Elba takes over, and then yeah, Idris yeah, yeah. Will, will be the I best. Back, I back Idris for sure, yeah. Well, I think Sean one? Connery is, like, is what you're supposed to say, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, here's this. Like, let's get into these guys. They've done Roger Moore, Sean Carney, Pierce Brosnan. They're all legends, right? Can you tell me the perception of these guys in the UK? Like, who is the god? Who's a UK actor god? Like, who's just the fucking goat? In the Bond franchise yeah. or... Within the Bond franchise. I wouldn't say Piers Brosnan is like that. Like his career after Bond wasn't that crazy, right? I think Sean Connery is probably like the most storied actor of all of them and had like massive i don't know much about roger moore but i know sean connery is just like you know mental mm -hmm. achievements outside of the bond franchise do you guys have any special association to either of them just being british or is that just a total number? here's brosnan <laughs> for me you know because goldeneye the n64 game oh, God. oh that's the classic <laughs> oh, all right that's yeah. that's the one that's the right answer that's <laughs> yeah so that was Dude, like a huge Man, people were buying the console just for that game, right? Like that's one of those games where you have the. I mean, those are the those are the kingmaker games where you just buy the All console time, just man. to play the game. But other, I mean, fuck, time, man. so Pierce Brosnan. So you're saying that Daniel Craig? That's interesting, man, because they did it much more born, right? That was a much more born uh, type of uh, Bond character. Yeah, man, he's just a little bit more. Uh, don't know, a little bit scruffier, maybe. Yeah, no, he, the he, older, he, he's like, the but what do you guys think about the Maybe, deal in general? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know enough about it. I haven't read that much, but I've, I think it's a bigger trend we're seeing, I guess. Um, Amazon obviously trying to get really serious in that space. They're going to get deep catalog. It sounds like they're also going to do a lot of like collaborations to reimagine a lot of old stuff as well, which is kind of smart. 
it gives them a lot of like credibility in it. So yeah, I mean they can afford it, man. <laughs> they can buy what, ten of these. <laughs> what, what, which which streaming service do you you guys use the most often? Like when you fire up the thing, what are you Netflix. what are you logging on to? Netflix. 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 But if I could count YouTube, YouTube will probably be even more oh, yeah. than Netflix. I'm Prime. Prime. Really? Are yeah, you serious? Yeah. Wait, what are you watching? You got some old. Uh, so you always send me few... these old ones, these old <laughs> random things, <laughs> yeah. and I'm like, oh, these are great, but. Yeah, they got, like, they got a couple of networks. So they got uh, uh, BritBox. I watch British TV on Amazon. <laughs> Acorn. No, it's coming. Yo, people on Twitter that sometimes forget the butcher. He's from yeah. England. Yeah. <laughs> He's watching BritBox. He's not yeah. watching the NBA playoffs. No, mate. No. And and um, Line of Duty. You boys ever seen that? Maybe the no. best. Nah, man. Such a good, like... Um. Brits like make gr great gritty crime drama series. Wait, so was this... uh, is Lockstock by British Guy Ritchie's British? Yeah, Guy Ritchie, yeah, yeah. Okay, so is that gritty? That's not even gritty, is it? Like that's that's mm. not gritty. I don't know. I, I I wouldn't categorize it that way. Like these long form, like eight episode, like crime dramas that have like six series, and the plot takes like eighty hours to resolve. What's it called? Badass Line of Duty. Have you have you seen The Wire from the HBO? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. Show. How does that compare to Line of Duty? That yeah, I would say like this controversial. I would say like similar caliber. Obviously, The Wire is way more renowned, <laughs> but uh, I I just love Line of Duty because it's British. I got yeah, watch. Jack keeps it niche. No, but I, I heard it. someone else mention it recently. Someone else mentioned it, and uh, I added it to to watch. But yeah, so what? Nice. Amazon Prime. That's I didn't expect Prime's, that. Yeah, Prime's what I'm firing up, mate. Every time. Well, well, Netflix, I, I go and I'm like, what, 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 what's on Netflix now? There's nothing. There's Worth fucking watching. nothing to watch. It's such a joke. People joke like, oh, I spent so much time trying to find this watch. <laughs> There's literally nothing to fucking watch. My, my wife just gave up on watching like shit she wanted to watch. She's like, I'm just going to watch every Korean show just because it, it takes away all the decision making. So she has literally in the last six months watched hundreds of hours of Korean Netflix and, and it worked for her, right? She just turns it off. Like whatever they're going to tell me, they all go, I don't really have to think about it. I don't have to care who the actor is or what the storyline is. Cause man, dude, everybody's been it, right? You're on Netflix. You're literally there for 30 minutes. It's fucking every night, off. every night this yeah. happens. It's and the other thing, Netflix, does Netflix have ratings embedded in it? Cause that's the other thing I like about prime. It shows you the IMDb rating of everything. Yeah, that's oh, lower nice. seven. I'm not even considering it. <laughs> what, what's line of duty? Eight point two or something. Oh yeah, man, way above. And you that's know, Jack picked a ten out of ten on the uh, the score meter there. Yeah. <laughs> well, here, there's, yeah. that, there's here's some other things that I want to add about the Amazon deal before I move on. Um, so just points of reference. I just love analogies and and, and, and parallels. So Star Wars paid. I mean, Disney paid. Uh, Seven billion for Pixar, four billion for Star Wars, and between four to seven for Marvel. So that just gives you kind of scale of like of the investments going in these things. But yeah, I don't think anybody's hitting that Marvel number, man. <laughs> Nobody's yeah. getting a return on investment like they did on Marvel, dude. Yeah, I was talking about this to someone the other day, like the the crossovers and like the you know, one plus one equals three in the Marvel franchise. It's oh like, just God. bring in another character and that gets you another like massive chunk of the market that loves this character versus that. Dude, just... think about the fucking characters they made franchises out of. Uh, just total nobodies, right? Like, uh, dude, what's the name of uh, the guy that shoots the arrow? Hawkeye? 
Oh, uh, no, mate. You have any idea. Exactly. Robin Hood? The, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the wolf. No, I mean, uh, from the from uh, Avengers. He's played by Jeremy don't, something. Don't the whole me. point is this. We don't even know him. He's got like a multi-million dollar franchise. Yeah. And well, uh, uh, Alex's thing, mate. You can make a million dollar franchise out of uh, any character. Well, the uh, the one joke on uh, the last one I could put about the Amazon deal was uh, I was just obviously on James Bond and subreddit, and <laughs> some guys just going through all the spinoffs about the James Bond characters. And he's like, "You guys remember Goldfinger, the uh, Asian dude, Odd Job, the one that throws the hat?" Yeah. And then Austin Powers who made fun of him called it a random task. <laughs> that was probably that was my favorite joke from Austin Powers. Odd Job, random task. Uh, they're like, they need to do a spinoff on this guy. So anybody from Amazon's listening, I'll fucking play that dude. <laughs> But, but it feels like Disney versus Amazon on a long enough timeline to me. In the end. Yeah, because Disney has like, yeah. I think Disney owns the IP that's, that gives yeah. them some sort of anchor. And it's like, it's hard to imagine that that's ever getting sold. And then Netflix, Amazon, that's like a capital game at this point, right? So who can yeah. buy the best stuff? That, that, Amazon's well, that's got fun. deeper pockets. Do you, think, do you think Disney and Amazon beats Netflix? No, I think he said it's a triumvirate. It's probably two. Oh, okay. Well, I'm saying well, I'm saying Netflix long term, yeah, is dead. Like against those. They need, they oh, need, okay. They, they need their. I mean, they have Stranger Things. They need more of those, right? Like they need the things that they own and start uh, and really can drive culture. Uh, I, yeah, uh, you're right, man. You're talking about these historical things, right? Amazon owns fucking Lord of the Rings. The first season of Lord of the Rings is costing four hundred twenty million dollars to make. Just fucking think about that. It's absurd. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think it's happening anytime soon. It just feels like Netflix and Amazon are sort of playing the same game, right? They're just like cash injections to creative people. And then Disney yeah. just has a brand that you just can't, you cannot come over the top of. It's and they've just... got a deep kids catalog, which, oh, is, that's the thing. which the I don't big... think about, but you guys probably do more than I do. Oh, that's the, that's the greatest lock-in ever, dude. The, it's, yeah, it's guaranteed every fucking family is going to have Disney+. Plus. Yeah, yeah, that's smart. It's like Bible level content virality. <laughs> that thing. <laughs> <laughs> but we should we should actually spend an episode on the Bible because I know Jack's been thinking about this. <laughs> the Bible designs. Well, dude, no, we can just or we can just pair Jordan Peterson, which I'm also down to do because I've read all of his shit. Um, um, all right, all right so let's that. let's summarize on Amazon. So we're. Overall, what do you reckon? This is a good deal for them. Sounds like a good deal, or they're just going to be able to monetize it, right? Just like who? Uh, there's only so many people that are going to be able to drop eight and a half bill on MGM Studios, and Amazon just has a million ways to turn the lever for it to work for them. And this is Bezos' swan song, right? This guy they announced his official retirement date, and the day they get MGM Studios, he gets to be like studio guy now. It's fucking perfect. Got a lot of colorful yeah, jackets. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nobody saw it. I, I, I posted a tweet about the absurd jacket that uh, Bezos wore when he first went out with his, uh, his now girlfriend or at the time uh, previously mistress. It's just like, it looked like an Oreo McFlurry. And this dude is like, <laughs> this dude is just, man. I mean, a jacket. You know, jacked that, Oreo McFlurry though. Yeah, to be fair. A, a jacked Looking like a Bond villain. That worth, that, that's worth $200 billion. But yeah, good. I mean, honestly, only so many people come, only so many people can buy it. And the ones that can, that can monetize it, like Amazon can, they're laughing. Fair enough. All right. So, uh, Jack, anything else before we move on to the next thing? Yeah, I, got, I read this. I can't give credit because I can't remember who said it, but content is king. Distribution is God. Oh, 
Dude, you know yeah. who did that? Uh, uh, the Reliance Entertainment. Man, Bilal, you're in the end. The guy that used to be head of the Reliance Entertainment retweeted my fucking tweet. Uh, Pakistani, bro. Uh, Pakistani. Yeah. Touch your subject. I'll just save that one when I call you Chinese at one point. But you know what you should do? That'll be my mute for the episode. No, it's all right. No, we need to talk about how offended Pakistanis get. Oh no, I don't. Actually, let's talk about it. But genuinely. I'm not offended at all. We were one country at one point, so yeah, I know. it's like, understandable. Like, you know but... there's a lot of people that are. Oh, yeah, right? I mean, there's a, there's a 60-year-old war going on uh, <laughs> in Kashmir, so... <laughs> well, there's the same... I mean, dude, yes, if, if you talk, call Vietnam and Chinese, they're going to lose their let's not Let's not get demonetized before we get monetized, as Jack said <laughs> last time, <laughs> before we start talking about China, though maybe that's coming up. Um, yeah. No, but all jokes aside, you know, like I've lived in the States now for like eight years, People just assume I'm Indian, obviously, and I get it. Um, but then at <laughs> no, the same the time, or Arab or something. Yeah, you yeah. did, you did. It's all right. Um, but no, the funny thing is, there's actually quite a cultural nuance, whereas in the UK, there's a lot more uh, brown Asians. Right? Yeah, so I mean, like the mayor of London is Pakistani British. 20% of Londoners are Pakistani, Indian, Sri Lankan, Bengali. Yeah. So like, if you say the word Asian in London, you're normally referring to us. Whereas South if you say Asian, Asian right. yeah, where you say Asian in, in the US, you normally mean like Vietnamese, Chinese, Korean, etc. That's a that's a super interesting uh, tidbit, man. That's a great. That's so yeah. true. Yeah, insights. <laughs> well, I mean, every conversation. I mean, the, well, the funny thing is South Asia. Yeah, South Asia is what one point actually because China is obviously one point three, one point four. So Pakistan and India combined are probably the counterweight in population. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Anyway, so um, so hey, just accept my apology, bro. Just accept my apology. No, 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 no. I'll never (laughs) forgive you. Never. (laughs) I'm gonna hold that one out. Um, anyway, so we got media deals. The other one to briefly touch on, which isn't as interesting, but New York Times are probably gonna buy the Athletic. It looks like the subscription only sports. uh, Yeah, we can move along with that. Yeah, that one's a little boring, but interesting because I think they're, you know, I don't think they're going to be profitable anytime soon. So probably a good outcome for them if they can get away with it. And it, um, and it oh, helps boosters. Uh, well, I one thing is New York Times wants to get to 10 million subscribers by 2025. They have 7 million now. Uh, the Athletic has, I think, 1.2. So this helps get them towards that goal that they had, the North Star. And they also don't have great uh, sports coverage. So no, actually, that's a good point. if you're doing the whole yin-yang thing, it makes a lot of sense. But the one thing about the Athletic, which is crazy, is they have 600 employees. How the fuck do I know so much about this deal? Yeah. <laughs> you been read, you write the news every day, bro. That's why. They have <laughs> 400 of their 600 uh, employees are writers. Insane. Insane. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah, they did a crazy, um, like I remember when they launched in the UK anyway, they were just, they took all the best football bloggers. Oh yeah, just hide them uh, all, yeah. All of them from BBC, from Guardian, et cetera. And yeah, maybe it'll work out for them. All right, anything else on that before we move on? Boys, can I do a 30 second screen share on New York Times? Yeah, yeah, I've I've already added, you can can share, I think. Uh, All right, so I just saw this headline this morning. I thought this this would be good to bring up on the pod. But you know the like the media interpretation of NFTs. So this uh, this headline, the curious world of NFT real estate and design, and then the subheading is people are selling and buying art, furniture, and even houses and land that exist only virtually. So I thought yeah. this was a a bit of an ironic uh, statement to make on a digital newspaper that is selling subscriptions to people, right? <laughs> so 
So I just put a little tweet together that said people are writing and reading newspaper columns that only exist virtually. That's brilliant. I, I missed uh, this one. So, yeah, I just, uh, I just thought I'd drop that on the pod. And it's like the cognitive dissonance is just super interesting. It's like this doesn't exist because it's not proper as we define it, but it's the same thing. Maybe the, the, you know, the amounts are different or the, the, the currency ecosystems are different, but it's, it's the same transaction, essentially. Anyway, we'll move on. No, 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 hold on. No, that's I, a good point. I, 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 no, go, go on, try. I think people enjoy it when we try to become philosophers. And this, <laughs> this is actually the running thread to all our things, right? It's just about the memification and like, and like at the end of the day, everything is just what's in your head, right? Like what, like uh, whether or not you believe the thesis of the book Sapiens, uh, which everybody read, it blew up a couple of years ago. Y- uh, Yuval, no, I'm mm-hmm. talking about Yuval Harris. Harari. Yeah. yeah. Naval Harari. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's just like, he just literally says, right? Like religion, money, uh, society. These are all figments of, figments of our imagination, right? So, I mean, for people that say, hey, this is just something that's in your head or anything, it's like, bro, everything, yeah. everything <laughs> is literally just in your head. It's are you like, trying to get to Descartes now? Easy. Anything can be, const- the belief of anything is just what is collectively believed to be, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if for them to, I, that's why I love your thing. It's just like, they collectively believe that there's still a separation between you know, print media world, what was tangible and written versus, and then, but I guess for them, it's easier to say, oh, houses are, are, are not supposed to be digital because, you know, if you look in the quote unquote real world, houses seem to be much more difficult to translate the digital world than maybe uh, a newspaper would. But fuck, right. man, same fucking point. Uh, you should sell as an NFT, man. A lot of brands are trying to get into the world of NFTs via, um, just, I guess someone high up in these organizations is just like seeing stuff happen. It's like, just get us involved in that some way, <laughs> somehow, right? That's like clean margin that we could just take something, sell it as an right. NFT and just add it to the balance sheet. And that tactic's not working for people anymore. Like the boom of, um, you know, NFT hysteria or whatever you want to call it in March is, is well and truly over at this point. So I've been having a few conversations with different people about, um, you know, if you want to do this, like, I don't think there's any reason you shouldn't do it, but I do think you need to be more thoughtful than people were being in March. So you have to really understand the technology and like use it as a canvas or have some conceptual reason to be doing it. So for a brand like this, the is like, it reports on immutable fact, right? So the price of this at the open of the market on this day was X. And then the price of this at the close was, was right. Y. And you can really lean into that narrative and turn that into like the a paper, digital representation. Paper yeah. of record. You're the paper yeah, or of record. Like, so Jack, you said uh, you think the March boom is over. So the days of Jack Butcher selling an NF- a tweet for 150K, are you saying that's done? Is that over? I think the reason that's, that single image NFTs that captured that moment sold for a disproportionate price is because <laughs> of the convergence of the art and the moment, right? And once yeah. the moment has passed, the art doesn't like okay. art doesn't resonate in the same way. And not to say that there, I mean, there is, there are, sorry, NFT transactions happening at that scale most days still, but they're like concentrated to the 0.01% of NFT artists that have had okay. fan base and a career for the last 10 years. Do I think that you know, maybe things can slowly ramp back up or there'll be better executions that are, you know, worthy of like disproportionate amount of investment. Yeah. (laughs) 
talk about, can we talk about how Jack said the word disproportionate? <laughs> <laughs> he said disproportionate, disproportionately to the <laughs> conversation. Let me untangle what that word means. So something that's in proportion <laughs> is in line with what society deems to be of, of good value at that moment. <laughs> So Jack has said twice <laughs> that his NFT potentially was out of line with the, what the mainstream would consider to be in proportion with value. I would stand by that, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, th- I, I mean, I think it's the set, like I tweeted about this a bunch of times. It's like um, you, like, I'm trying to think of the exact language, but if, if you wait until everybody understands something, then you missed almost all of the opportunity. Right, right, right. Oh, that's a yeah, great that's one. a good point. So people look absolutely bananas in the moment, and then like twenty years later, or even you know, in the, uh, in the world we live in now, a year later, you look like a freaking genius. Like CryptoPunks is a great example. People were buying yeah. those for five hundred bucks last year. Now they're selling them for fourteen million. Yeah, 100%. and people would have said five hundred dollars for a cartoon. You're an absolute lunatic. Well, I'll talk, I'll talk well they're still saying it about the 14 million. And now, and yeah. I just, yeah, to give true, a, no, a more normal example, we're used to like Airbnb 10 years ago, however long it's been around. If you said you could rent out your place to strangers and there wouldn't be a fire every day or a drug fueled yeah. yeah, party yeah, that yeah, you're going to yeah, get yeah. in trouble for. And literally happen. tens of millions of people. <laughs> yeah, which definitely happens. But it happened in hotel rooms too. And yeah. uh, if you think like tens of millions of people, I don't know the exact numbers, but tens of millions of people probably used, use it by now. And uh, like how normal it is for us. But if you said that 10 years ago, you'd say that's never going to work. Like, what are you talking about? Who would do well, that? I'll give, you a, I'll give you a great nugget from uh, Amazon's, uh, or the new book, Brad Stone's new book about Jeff Bezos, uh, Amazon Unbound. And uh, it, it, well, it ties back, thankfully. It ties back to MGM Studios and, and, and media. So when he, in 2017, Jeff Bezos wanted uh, uh Amazon to have its own Game of Thrones. He's like, I want a Game of Thrones, right? Like, can you imagine like the boss comes in and says, I want Game of Thrones? And uh, and he also said, like, we wanna we wanna ramp up studio business to do XYZ. And the guy at the time, uh, Brad Price, I think was his name, Roy Price, he's the head of Amazon Studios. And it, it says in the book that uh Roy's recollection of the event was so in his mind, he's like, This is absurd. I don't know why I need to do this. But he just said, I know Jeff has a reason. And I know he has it in his head. Uh, I'm just going to have to do what this guy says, right? Because I know he knows it all played out. He's going to explain it to me. But it's like it's like what kind of Jack alluded to. Is like there are these people. Obviously, Balaji is one of the pod's favorite. He knows. He sees the fucking future, right? And he's telling you. He's literally telling us the future. A lot of it sounds mad, but if you wait for it to make sense, for all the facts to to meet to what his uh, narrative is. Like you said, it's the bet's over. We've already lost. Yeah, COVID is a good example, right? It's like oh, yeah. those guys were calling Definitely. it last year in January. Like this is nobody understands the exponent better than people who like build and sell oh, yeah, software. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. People understand that's the thing that I remember. I can't remember somebody a big VC was saying. Uh, when I talk to all my friends, the ones that understand it the most are in finance because they understand mm-hmm. exponential growth compounding and the one in uh, media uh, uh, in, uh, in tech because they've seen these growth charts, Seen right? exponential growth. Yeah. yeah. Whereas, like, whereas doctors, a lot of even like medical professionals, right? They're not used to thinking like that. Yeah, like virologists are, but yeah. they're not obviously doctors. Yeah, most of them aren't virologists though. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Which by the way, the uh, what's the RO of a meme, Tron? That could be the way you <laughs> think about it. 
That's true, dude. I mean, you already. Ah, uh, no, one, sorry. Ah, uh, no. Or not. I mean, yeah. or in, in episode one, you already did uh, the uh, your the Jack Butcher's famous calculation: uh, engagement versus total views, people. Engagement versus total views. If it's twenty percent or more, that thing's popping. It's a runaway it. train. Yeah. It's a runaway train. All right, all right we boys. We're gonna move on. we're gonna move on, but here's the connective tissue to the next section, right? So we're talking about people not seeing things uh, right in the beginning. Some of them can be the smartest people in the world, like Stanley Druckenmiller, who Trung just interviewed. Great interview. We'll, we'll talk about the conversation you had with him in a second. He's been seen to be one of the best investors of all time for the last 30, 40 years. Um, but even he said in your conversation with him that on Bitcoin specifically, he feels like he missed it early on because he kind of dismissed it. Yeah. And then later he kind of came around to it. I think the phrase he used was there was a solution. No, a pro a solution looking for a problem. I think it was. Yeah, that's exactly and what So like, let's talk a little bit about that because I think um, like when I, well, first of all, your interview was, was great. It's on uh, MFM, My First Million, the Hustlers podcast that's normally hosted by Sam Parr and Sean Puri. So that, go and check that out. Check that out for sure. But um yeah, what, what did you think about it, man? Because when I, I'll just give my opinion from the outside and I'd love to hear yours, was he, he was incredibly smart and he was just killing it with all the macro stuff. And you can see he's seen the same patterns over time. And he was trying to take that lens and say, well, this is what I saw in 2000. And now in 2021, uh, this is how it's slightly different. Um, but it kind of felt like he was almost like accepting that there's some things that he's not going to fully wrap his head around i don't know if that's the right phrase but he kind of had the humility to say like oh there's some things i'm not gonna know you know what i mean and but i'm still gonna i'm gonna look at the way he described the 21 year olds to 28 year olds coming from stanford and all these yeah, schools exactly. where, where are those engineers gonna go invest their time and a lot of them are going to crypto so as someone who actually had the full conversation with him like what was your take on that yeah i think uh, i think the way you frame it is absolutely correct uh super humble for a guy that literally is considered one of the greatest investors ever, right? 30% a year for 30 years, never had a down year, broke the Bank of England, which we're going to talk about. But uh, yeah, his whole point about crypto is uh, he's watching it. And uh, in, the, in the podcast, which everybody should listen to, My First Million, uh, that feed, is um, he said when it was running, every day he just was kicking himself. He just could not believe it, right? He just didn't understand it. And it's ripping from three to 17,000. And he was like, and he was saying that even though he's a 40-year investing veteran, every day there was like the greed and kind of like the envy of watching all these like non-traditional investors make, make money. And uh, yeah, I think I think he's fully sold on, on crypto. A lot of people are. Uh, a lot of these older investors. I mean, Jack sent us a funny tweet this morning. Uh, who's the guy that sent it? Uh, it's one oh, of these- Crypto Cobain. Oh, this yeah. is good. Crypto Do you want to read it out, Jack, if you've got it? Yeah, oh, let me pull it up. Oh, you can even share the screen if you want. So we'll, we'll just talk about Crypto Cobain is a, uh, is a really funny crypto account. It has like 300,000 followers. But uh, he made a statement, which is probably the sentiment of a lot of people that are crypto investors, actually. They'll look at a Stanley Druckenmiller and uh, talk about crypto and be like, oh, why do I need to listen to this guy? This guy's a dinosaur, right? And I, I mean, I did get a lot of those comments. Like when I first posted a video of me and Stanley uh, Druckenmiller speaking, the person's like, Oh wow! Like Stanley Druckenmiller finally figured out that crypto is a thing, right? The, it's, it's, you know those shitty trolley comments you usually get in the crypto <laughs> community. But I mean, this tweet's hilarious. But I think it captures a sentiment of how the other side looks at these old school investors. Yeah, it says Carl 
Ican, is that how you pronounce yeah, it? I can. Carl Ican says crypto is here to stay and Ethereum is money. Wow, that's amazing. Are there any other 85-year-old men that missed a decade's emergence of a new asset class that also want to comment? I will ask my granddad and report back. <laughs> yeah, I have to comment that Jack's tone and his straight face there was perfectly delivered. Oh, dude, honestly, that's so British of Jack, man, because the deadpan is like, that's what the British crush deadpan. This dude is the British side, as well. The side eye. So the side eye. Is crypto cocaine British? Yeah. Cobain. <laughs> see where see where Trunk's mind's at. No, okay. yeah, no exactly. Uh, no, so yeah, I think uh, I mean his explanation makes sense, and he explains it. He's so uh, Stanley Jack Miller, sixty-eight, and yeah, he uh, he he touched on it. Bilal, you touched on it. And he said that uh, he was trying to rationalize in his head, like what, like what is this thing, right? And he only started buying last March, but he bought it around six thousand. Uh, he said he got twenty mil in. And he was joking. He's like, I've never been into it. I like, I, I got in at, I, I wanted to buy 100 mil, but it took so long that I stopped. Like that's yeah. He said it was taking him like a couple of weeks or something. Like, I, I, took, I spent like 10 minutes trying to buy crypto. I got throttled by Coinbase for like 750 a week was my limit. I'm like, you know what? I'm out. So multiply that by like a thousand. And that was basically Stanley Drucker Mill. And he's like, I tried to buy 100 mil. It took me way too long. So I just stopped buying it. And uh, he got in at uh, 6K. 20 mil about, but yeah, so his rationale was just like, obviously the Fed and central banks did this 10 years ago, but they've just taken it to like the nth degree in 2020, right? And his main thing was he was on the circuit. He's a, a wrote an op-ed for Wall Street Journal and he's on CNBC about 10 days ago. Um, CNBC, the, the thing that I go on every now and then. Uh, the regular. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and he was saying that the, uh, his concern with the Fed was, they still have these emergency measures in place, low interest rates, uh, emergency bond buying after the vaccination has been proven, after retail sales have recovered to, I think, even past trends from 2019. Like we're already where we would have been uh, without COVID in, in terms of retail buying. And then add to that this summer that's about to come up, son, and the amount of fuckery that's going to happen and the, the, the inflation is going to explode, right? So that, that was what his whole thing was. And he said... Uh, I'll just finalize by saying crypto was a solution in search for a problem and the problem to him. A lot of people for a long time have said the problem. They've already identified it. To him, the problem was what happened in 2020. You know, yeah. as you were explaining that, Trung, as well, I think um, maybe I'm overthinking this, but like COVID as a phenomenon maybe helped people get a better model for crypto too. Like the explosive growth of a, like a viral oh, right. thing. Yeah. Like this is a 24 seven global yeah. asset that is like low. Well, it depends on whether you have to buy through Coinbase or not with low friction, <laughs> but the, uh, but, it, but maybe it helped people like grasp these like global viral phenomenons it's a such little a good better. Point. Uh, and, and people like Stanley Druckermiller, not that I'm, uh, you know, claiming to know how he thinks, but that is an interesting like coincidence in timing right. with these things happening and meme stocks and all of that kind of madness no, 100 and uh well, well what i will add was uh again just listen to the full thing anybody here that hasn't heard it let's you know, go to my first million uh he talks about meme stocks i asked him actually about gamestop and he's uh, he actually brought up a great point he's like when i started so for him that was in the late 70s he says all of investing was retail he's like you just went to your broker and he would give you tips right like these institutions didn't take over until the 80s 90s he's like this stuff's been around and he's just like you just everybody now just has all the tools and uh 
and he he just he the one the one he had to jab it. He just said, "I think it'll be directed towards more positive things than GameStop, which he called radioactive." So <laughs> then, then we can go with that. Yeah, the one thing, the last thing I'll say was, um, like, I, I think what Jack read out with his straight face earlier was like perfectly said uh, for what a lot of people think. But the reason it matters is because Stanley Druckmiller represents billions and billions and hundreds of billions, maybe more. I, I don't know the numbers um, of capital from people at his age, his experience. Um, and it's going to open up a whole new world of people yeah. who who take it, uh, see that asset class as legitimate. So I think that's why, obviously, it's really important. Go on, Jack. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, it's a meme of a different kind, right? Like, like retail, a retail money meme on Reddit is like an image with two freaking lines of impact text with shadows behind it. In the same way that Stanley Druckenmiller going on CNBC for right. 90 seconds is a meme that's going to resonate with over 60, 60 over and 70-year-old people. Yeah. And that's like, oh, did you see Stanley Druckenmiller on CNBC? <laughs> that's such did a you- brilliant point. Yeah, I love that. So instead, of, instead of sending tweets from a uh, 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 cocaine cowboy crypto guy. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I haven't, I haven't, li- like, I don't know if it was Drucker Miller or uh, ICANN, that, but my mother in law's friends texted Celia yesterday. I was like, can I speak to Jack about like how to buy Bitcoin? And so Ethereum? good. So good. And yeah, tell I, this story, Jack. What, what, well, that the was yesterday. Was that was yesterday. So I'm, I'm assuming like all these big institutional moves that are being covered in the press. Um, uh, uh, just pushing people to maybe call their financial advisor and be like, hey, can I get some exposure to this? And oh a lot of financial yeah. advisors either don't, I don't know why, but don't have the instrument to get their client's exposure. So they go and direct. And um, I've been talking about this stuff. Like I've been going out for dinner with this couple when we lived in New York every month for like five years. And they were like, oh, what are you up to? I was like, oh, I'm buying, you know, Bitcoin and messing around with this. And, that. and they're like, what the hell? Like, like they look at me like I'm about? insane, right? It's like, you're going to, um, like they care about Celia. So like, all right, just be careful. And then, uh, you know, two That's years so later, funny. it's like, can, can you tell me how to, how to buy it and how to allocate? It's like, listen, I can send you like a bunch of podcasts with people that way smarter than me and you should listen to those and then make your own mind up. I'm not going to give you any, not investment advice, right? Yeah. The, the, uh, send them this podcast. Yeah, <laughs> send yeah. them this segment. <laughs> I have a huge amount of respect for it because they, they also say like, look, it's going to be play money. It's like, I'm not betting the farm on this stuff. These guys are incredibly successful and they're going to be fine, but they just want, um, they want to participate in this thing because they're seeing the, you know, the well, meme has finally like, reached it's like, the... Uh, it's like Stan said, right? He's a, I love him calling him Stan like we're buddies. Yeah, Me and Stan down the pub. Drucky, yeah. Hey, what are you doing, man? Yeah, we're just having a drink Druckers. with Stan. We're having a drink with Stan and uh, we're talking crypto. Uh, but it's same, right? He's watching the whole thing rip and he's just like, I, I got to get in on this. And he didn't. Just the last thing I'll say that he mentioned was something about he saw... In 2017, when there was that, or 2018, when there was an 85% drop, or there was that huge drop, right? Yeah. And he said that 85% of people still held on to it. And yeah, that so was like. Paul, Paul Tudor Jones, Jones another legendary that. hedge fund manager. And it's so funny if you listen to the podcast. He texted him. <laughs> no, he calls him. And uh, but Stanley did the voice. He did Paul Tudor Jones' voice. It's from the South. And I'm like, oh. So good. Uh, Stan, you came strapped for this podcast, man. But dude, so I'm just telling you, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of my mindset as I'm interviewing Stan and Miller. Like, this is like, 
it'd be the equivalent of interviewing LeBron James. This is the caliber of uh, of talent he is for his chosen field, right? He is a top three to five or maybe top ten ever investor. And I'm just the entire time. But the thing is, I'm just so into it. I had my list of questions that I didn't even have time to really think about, like, holy shit, I'm interviewing Stanley Druckenmiller. But uh, no, man, dude, it's it's hilarious. And he's doing the, he just came prepared as a performer too. Like he, he was making jokes and, and he was doing the fake Paul Tudor Jones voice. Just listen to the fucking podcast. Yeah, well, the, the great thing was, he's like, oh, you're young. Yeah. So you're going to ask me about <laughs> crypto, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That was great. Nailed it. Um, so we got that. And yeah, and you know what? Um, so just to Bilal's point is, yeah, what, what convinced uh, Stanley to buy uh, the crypto or Bitcoin was number one solution in search of a problem solution was sound money when the fed's going crazy. And the second part was Paul Tudor Jones called him and said, uh, Hey, I looked at the numbers when it went from 17,000 to 3,000, 85% of people or the wallets never sold. And, 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 and Stanley said, those are zeal- Those are zealots, right? That's are- the word. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was these thinking. Are, these are religious, religious zealots that they're going. Then we call them strong hands, yeah, <laughs> or diamond hands in our yeah. world. If he had said diamond hands, that's game over, right? Oh yeah, extremists take over the internet. Okay, so um, now so let's Trunk, talk. tell us about the break in the Bank of India and maybe paint a picture of who he was working for, because okay. uh, there were other legendary people yeah. kind of involved so this, as well. We might have to start doing trade of the week because this is such a legendary trade. Okay, so the year is nineteen ninety two. Uh, Stanley Druckenmiller started his career in 1977, so he's about a decade and a half into his career. Um, he launched his own personal fund in 1981, and it was so successful uh, that George Soros, the Hungarian hedge fund manager, super. And, and I know today he's he's kind of perceived as this mastermind of the liberal media and liberal causes, but crazy successful investor. His fund was called Quantum Fund, and in 1988. Uh, he asked uh, Stan Druckenmiller to take over as a portfolio manager for Quantum Fund uh, so he could start doing more of his philanthropy and his side stuff, which has, I'm sure, caught in, got him into the news in recent decades. So, uh, so in uh, 1992, he's 39 years old. I love finding out the age when people do something crazy because I'm like, oh, man, in three years, I could do something like that, right? At 36, like, hey, in three years, I could break the Bank of England. <laughs> so 39 years old. And then I'm going to go through the minutiae of this, but I think some people will appreciate it. I think you guys appreciate it as two British cats. So in 1992, the prime minister is John Major. So he took over for Margaret Thatcher. And one of the things that Thatcher did when she, Margaret Thatcher, super independent, right? Very hawkish, super independent uh, prime minister. Crazy story. We should spend an episode on Margaret Thatcher. She's an incredible, I know that she's very- Yeah, very controversial figure either way. But, uh, yeah. So she had always been about UK independence. Uh, whereas, you know, across the water, there's the whole continent of Europe and they have this hundred centuries old relationship with the UK about how much integration there should be, right? So after World War II, uh, Europe uh, started integrating all their uh, economies to try to never have a war again. So they first started with something called the European Steel and Coal Community. And so this is Germany, like Germany, France, Italy, Netherlands, a bunch of other countries are like, hey, let's combine our like steel planning so that we can have a combined economy and try not to kill each other all the time. So fast forward to the 90s, and this is in the lead up to the euro, uh, they had something called the European exchange rate mechanism. And what that was is the ERM was these countries involved in the exchange rate mechanism against the big ones, Germany, France, uh, I'm pretty sure Italy was in it. 
and uh, a number of other countries are like, we're gonna, going to agree to keep our currencies within a certain band, right? Because one way you can really fuck another economy is by lowering your, your exchange rate and then, and then your exports can get sold more because it's cheaper. So you're devaluing the currency. Exactly. Yeah. So by keeping everybody's currency within a band, it makes the economy more predictable. It keeps everybody more attached. So Margaret Thatcher had no interest in it. Uh, she just wanted to be independent. Uh, John Major, one of his things was like, I want to join the European exchange rate mechanism to show solidarity and also just to boost the UK economy because now we can be tighter with these European countries. But what happened, and this is parallels with Brexit and what happened with Brexit, right? It's like that tension is like, how much do you want to be involved with the Europeans? So um, Germany, uh, when you short a currency, you don't just short, the way you do is you have to pick a currency pair. So the currency pair that George Soros and Stanley Druckenmiller chose was the Deutsche Mark and the, and the UK pound. And, and sorry, what, drunk, just real quick for people, like, because there's some people yeah, who don't, might not even know what short, shorting just means you're betting against yeah, the, the currency, uh, basically, right? You're betting so, against, uh, you want something to fall in value. Yeah, exactly. If you're shorting, right. like, if you're shorting Apple, and let's say Apple is $100 today, you want it to fall. To you 80. think it's going to be worth less yeah. in the future than it is today, yeah. We don't have to talk to the minutiae of what that means, but... So uh, I'm going to give you the scenario of why they wanted to short the British pound. So they realized that John Major had put the, the, the British pound into this exchange rate mechanism uh, and to align with the Europeans. But the problem is this, the, the economies weren't matched. The, uh, British, uh, the UK economy was going through recession. And what's one way that you deal with recession is you cut interest rates, right? You cut interest rates uh, so that your exports become more competitive and that way, the economy can restart. And so the UK's economy was weak, uh, whereas the German economy, this was after the fall of the Berlin Wall, uh, it, was, it was kind of firing on all cylinders, right? And the other, thing about, uh, the other thing about the German economy is this. In the 1920s, Germany had hyperinflation, which led to the rise of Nazism. So Germans fucking hate inflation. Like, they will do anything to crush inflation or fight it. And so they will never cut interest rates, right? Or not that they never will. They're very hesitant versus other countries and economies to cut interest rates. They're very cognizant of inflation because there's such a scar of 100 years ago of when that happened. I don't know how long it would take to explain why hyperinflation led to a situation like that. Can you? I'm going to do it. (laughs) So I mean, I mean, in the in the like pre-war in Germany. Oh, so, so the hyperinflation from the 20s happened after World War One. They lost the war. Uh, they were forced to pay reparations. Uh, and uh, they're under something, they're under a new leadership called the Weimar Republic. And uh, they just couldn't handle with all the, the fuckery that was going on, right? And uh, they basically just printed themselves into insanity. So the scar, and then one of the reasons that Nazism was able to rise was because, you know, the country was so beaten down, the economy was so broken, that they're just like, we just want fucking anyone to fix this. Right. right and you come and like stand on a stage yeah. and just say Hitler mental shit. In, I'm yeah. going to fix all this. I'm going to make yeah. this country strong again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so Germany is very uh, against the, you know, inflation. So you have a, so now we map it out, right? You have a weak UK economy and you have a strong German economy and they're attached by this exchange rate mechanism. And, and, and Stanley Druckenmiller is just looking at it. He's like, this is not the, the UK is going to have to leave this arrangement because the arrangement keeps you within a band uh, of like 10, 20% of currencies. 
And I'm not going to talk about how you stay within the band, but it involves central banks buying and selling currencies. And he's like, there's just no way they're going to be able to do it. And so he, uh, this is the amazing thing. Uh, a big lesson from him in this entire story was he found a once in a generation bet and went all in on it. This quantum fund was a $15 billion fund. They put $15 billion into this trade. Only think about that. All in. They went all in. And here's a crazy thing. Druckenmiller said that he wasn't even the one that wanted to go all in, all in. He goes to Soros and says, hey, I just put 100% of this fund into this trade. And Soros goes, the, the way Druckenmiller said it, he's like, Soros looked at him with great disdain. He's like, you have a once in a generation trade and you're only going to do 100%? You need to pour <laughs> in. He goes, you need to lever Big this balls. trade, right? <laughs> you need to lever this trade to the moon. So long story short is his thesis came out exactly Exactly, wow. it came out, and the, the catalyst was this: Your, uh, the German central banker, I forgot his name, basically had a press conference, pretty unprecedented, and said basically called up the UK. He's like, "We're looking at the exchange rate mechanism, and we don't have confidence that you know how like central bankers will use these words. We've lost confidence that all the members will be able to stay within the parameters of the rules. Everybody knew that meant England. Oh man, if you got to read the data, I guess we got to post the article. If you read the day to day blow by blow, England." The central banker of England wakes up, woke up at 2 a.m. because uh, uh, they're ahead of time, right? They're seeing what's happening around the currency market. And his, the panels just get demolished. And, uh, and Soros and Dr. Uh, Miller couldn't even find enough people to sell the pound to, right? Yeah, because um, back then it wasn't just like pressing a button. Yeah. It was like calling up But people. here's the crazy thing. The central bank, the UK central bank has to buy it. They have to buy it if you're selling to them. So as soon as they were up and running, wow. they're just being sold. All this shit that's imploded. So by the end of it, they made a billion dollars personally on the trade, but the fund went from 15 billion to 22 billion. So the actual amount of the, the trade was $7 billion, a single trade. And then the, they get the 20% carrier or whatever. So uh, insane. They broke the Bank of England. It's considered the greatest trade ever. Incredible. That's stuff. insane, man. Yeah, especially if you just picture it like being back in the day as well. Like with, it wasn't like you can just Google something and see it all live the way we do now. It's yeah. Th they didn't have as much information available to a certain extent as well. So pretty incredible. Amazing story. Sorry that he, uh, if, if your parents had paid more taxes in the 90s, it's probably because of Dr. <laughs> and, uh, and just for people that don't know, you were a history major, right? Uh, yeah, I was a history That was major. coming well, out. I could feel it. I, I could feel I like Trung's read no, 17 man. books about this. I don't know how I don't know uh, I don't know how many people we lost in that bit there, but <laughs> man, I get I get drone on, bro. I get drone on about history. Bonus I love episode. it. I know that we've talked about Duna. I know so the, the listeners will laugh because last week uh we did obviously an episode about how Jack and Bilal got into uh, uh crypto, uh, Bitcoin and Ethereum. So we're actually very intentional to start this up. So we're like, hey, let's not talk too much about crypto. Switch it up. And then next you week, we're going to have another no, one. So we're, yeah. an hour, we're an hour in, boys. I think we're allowed to talk about crypto again. <laughs> so let's do project Sprinkling. of the week. And you guys can tell me because I think we should, I think I want to start doing this Ethereum project of the week because I'm about to wet my beak, boys. Trump's oh, coming here. Watch I got, out. Yeah, I, I, think, I actually think I might go all Ethereum. Too many environmental concerns with Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, Tron, go on. Since you're talking about that, tell us why. Because I know you've been reading oh, no, I mean, just, James I mean, Wang. And, 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 I mean, well, you've been well, following well, this as much as anyone. Like, you, it's, just you know. a, it's just, it's now or never. I, I got to do it, man. It's just, I've had enough. 
And uh, I'm, I'm like Stanley Druckenmiller. I've had enough. I gotta get concentrated in. bets, man. Concentrated bets, as, as you so said. So we'll do that. And so let's. Well, well you guys should talk about this because I'm a total outsider. So you guys have swapped the story about Cubit. You primed the readers about what. Yeah, he did. yeah. So there's. So let's let's set the stage because there's a lot been going on this week. Really quickly, we talked about Carl Icahn. He talked about getting involved with crypto now. Finally, um, he said it will be in a big way if he does it and the interviewer asked what that means and he said normally big way for them means like a billion to one and a half billion dollars so that's that's a lot of institutional money or like classic old school money coming in um then there's also uh gamestop doing nfts which is quite interesting i can't you had a great uh tweet with this trunk where you had like the what's the the mint mentos, mentos or whatever yeah. <laughs> mentos and coke with <laughs> two things coming together well here um, i'll tell you look, this is on. the only thing i can really opine on regarding this because you guys will be the pros here was uh i mean we talked about this a couple episodes ago, uh, episodes ago but i told people just download my matic right because it's going to give you ideas so that part of it is like and jack's talked about it, it's like these memes are just imprinting people's brains right so the, everybody knows when you put a, a thing of Mentos in a Coke bottle, it's going to explode, right? And there's going to be some fuckery involved. And I just remember seeing it was imprinted in my brain. Somebody had made that thing where it's like a box. On one side is like all this Coca-Cola. On the other side is like hundreds of Mentos. And then if you pull it, it's going to explode. And that, the, literally, the first thing that popped in my brain when you guys showed me the NFT, that's, the, that's what we're talking about. Mematic, people. One right, piece man. of advice out. The only piece of advice I'll ever give on this podcast is download Mematic. Because it'll give you ideas. It'll give you ideas. Hilarious. Hilarious. Yeah. But anyway, so does anyone actually know much about this? I just read the headline, so I don't know much. But GameStop, obviously, yeah, they they just mentioned that they're they're doing something in this space. But that's quite interesting. We also saw Gary V, the really famous kind of uh, influencer, if you want to call him that, but also a business dude. Um, He just bought the CryptoPunk. I think it was for 325 Ethereum or ETH, sorry. Uh, which is like almost a million dollars, depending on is what. That the, that's not the record, is it? I don't no. think it's the record. No, it's. Uh, well, he punk... picked it up. Go on, go, go on. on. No, I say he picked it up like cheap relative to what during that... the dip. Yeah. During, yeah what... As uh, during the times when things were, uh, what's the word that we've been using? Disproportionate. Disproportionate. What Jack's trying to say is these are more proportionate times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's only 800 grand for the zombie. Yeah, punk. exactly. He bought it on the cheap. But yeah, so that that was, co- there's lots going on. So we, we can't really go into all what of them. What was the Cuban thing? You guys mentioned Cuban investing something? Yeah, so Mark Cuban, uh, famous from Shark Tank, owns the Dallas Mavericks, right? Um, he's been getting quite involved with NFTs. Um, I think he's got his own platform. Is it lazy.com or something mm-hmm, like that? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so he's been involved with this a lot. And then he just put out that he's invested or partnering with Polygon slash Matic. Uh, is the, it, well, it's called Polygon now. It used to be called Matic, but the ticker or whatever is still called Matic. Um, so again, this maybe we talk more about that next week with someone who knows <laughs> more about this. But more, I don't know, yeah. Jack. Do you know much about this? Because and in full transparency, both me and Jack, I think Jack still has some. We both own some of this, so d- disclosure, not investment advice. But it's something that I've been seeing pop up quite a lot. So um, it's essentially what's called like a layer two. Um, I don't know what it's called, actually. It's, it's something on layer two where it helps with scaling. So a big problem with Ethereum right now is that there's problems with scaling. So as it's got bigger and bigger, it becomes um, 
more costly. Um, and there's people building these things called layer on layer two, and yeah. it makes things more efficient. Essentially, um, there's there's some technical difference between like what's called a side chain and layer two on its own, which we don't need to go okay, into. I can, I can walk through one thing, which I think will make go on, go on. understand. Is that so? If you pile everything onto the existing Ethereum network, that's going to cause a huge one thing, a lot of traffic, right? So they're trying to build off-ramps where you can, let's say Bilal and myself want to make a transaction. Let's say over the course of six months, we want to do deals together. Uh, back and forth deals um, related to Pakistani food, for example. And I know how I said Pakistani. Pakistan to Vietnam. All right. Yeah, Pakistani and Vietnamese food. Let's say we're, uh, we're transacting in commerce, Pakistani and Vietnamese food over six months. So we get to do all that stuff off the main chain. We're not clogging up the main chain. And once we complete that six-month period, there's a way for us to, to ensure that that record is agreed to by both of us. So we probably both have to sign it to say, yes, the six-month period when we're exchanging basmati rice and, and fish sauce, <laughs> this six-month period has been signed by both of us. Now can we put this one record back onto the main Ethereum chain? So that's kind of the idea of one of these like layer two ideas, right? So what? So what was what's Cuban's involvement in this? I, I I don't know, Jack. Do you know much about this? Or all I saw is that he's publicly kind of come out said he's been investing in it. His companies are probably going to use it as well. I think, um, but it's an interesting area because the, what I liked about this is Polygon. Um, they've been building this, looking at the long term, saying we want to work with the main Ethereum project not just go against it or create a, a completely different alternative they're trying to like build on top of it which i think is quite smart um, but yeah i don't know much more about that what what cuban's actually doing with it yeah i don't know if he's like back in the team or he's just like loaded up on the asset itself the way i read the headline read as though he was like backing the development of the asset yeah, and I saw a, a, a statement from the founders too. So there was definitely something coming out there. So anyway, maybe this is something we're going to have uh, Paki McCormack on the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think next oh, week. Yeah. yeah, so if he can still make that. He just did an amazing breakdown of Ethereum. It's like 40 minutes long if you listen to it. So we'll be breaking that down in more detail. And it's probably more fresh in his mind. Um, yeah. But there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in his space. Uh, definitely, like this is all in the kind of Ethereum ecosystem, there's there's stuff related to, to DeFi um, as well. So yeah, there's not much more to, to add there. Um, all right, boys, was there anything else? I mean, the other thing to mention is, Jack, you, you bought that Bored Ape Yacht Club stuff a mm. few months ago or a month ago, and you shared it on the pod. Yeah, and we talked about it. Yeah, and I saw the Dapper Labs guy bought one of those too which is kind of cool he's the guy who started basically nba top shot which has been one of the most successful nft projects any feelings from your camp <laughs> well let's hold on let's uh let's Bullish, what Dak said he he said that he's waiting for the culture to come to him basically a couple weeks ago i asked him he's like what and now what fundamental analysis are you applying to the purchase of this board uh ape yacht club which is an nft <laughs> of an ape that just looks ridiculous but it's kind of cool looking they look kind of cool though yeah and then jack said i'm waiting for culture to converge with me so jack is it converging well i think it's a good signal like the um this is i think ties nicely with the gary v uh purchase oh, of the right. crypto punk thing which i think is a uh, basically an inverse thing it's like he's buying access to like og nft crypto space with that and then the board ape yacht club is like 
entry level, um, you know, it's a couple hundred bucks to get involved rather than a couple hundred thousand bucks to get involved. So you can see a new wave of people interested in, you know, digital collectibles and stuff getting into Bored Ape. I think where it differs from like a Top Shot, for example, is those things are, they have a relationship to your identity. So you can change your Twitter profile picture to the ape that you own. If you buy a, an NBA Top Shot, like you're not going to use that as a profile picture, right? It's like, it's truly a digital collectible that you like keep in a slide somewhere. So what I observed happening with CryptoPunks is like people attach their identities to these things. And if you get enough high profile people attaching their identity to it, then the asset class grows. Board Ape is a well-executed identity-based NFT project. So I think it grows in proportion to like the status of people that adopt it and okay. the community that's building it up from the ground. So Gary V is about to get access to the OG network of the Board 8 Yacht Club soon and drop 800K. <laughs> well, he's, uh, he, I mean, yeah, he's, um, he's gotten into the CryptoPunk stuff, which is, yeah, a couple years older. I, I, lo I love how you said that though. It's like, he's literally like, he, cause he didn't have the legitimacy of pumping this four or five years ago, right? He's literally just buying his way into it. But I will yeah, say I mean, he's been calling Ethereum a long time though. He's been, oh, yeah. he has been, and to be fair, beyond NFTs, he's he's like building his next big thing on this big NFT platform. He's doing bundling up with events every year for the next three four years. But and to be fair to him, he's been into collectibles since forever, and yeah, he's yeah. been really he's he been calling that on the trading cards and all that yeah. stuff as well. So I think this is like right in his sweet spot. You can tell he's genuinely into he it. Said I think it. like this is like betting technology collectibles it's like the convergence of all completely yeah, we don't have, yeah so, I agree. so quite interesting but anyway i i think jack the 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 lesson i heard here is listen to the podcast because jack's gonna be sharing stuff a little bit early on the edges of the internet <laughs> to get in no investment advice either. but if you had bought then which i didn't and i don't think trung did, did <laughs> maybe not. we'd By have way, an asset worth more i i let's give away a let's give away a board ape That's oh yeah we could give oh, yeah. one away and do subscribe, like subscribe on YouTube no. and be Comment. entered in to Comment win one. Let's do it. Well, why don't we, why don't we review, brainstorm review a little bit about what we should do and then actually put it out properly so people know what to do. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, if you listen to this, you want one of those, Jack will be doing a giveaway, which is sick. Um, so listen out for that. And uh, well, I plan, yeah, well, remember when, uh, well, the last thing I'll add is you remember when uh, David uh, Dobrik, the famous YouTuber, was giving away uh, Ferraris and then our Teslas and then his friend won. So I'm, I'm hoping to win this board eight yacht. <laughs> Miraculously, <laughs> Trung, Trung gets off zero with his by winning the competition. By winning, winning the competition. <laughs> yeah. No, we we'll definitely, definitely, uh, definitely give one away. You will be excluded from the pool. <laughs> All right. But right, um, the guys. last thing I say is so let's just bang this out because Biden. Well, it's been announced. It's going to be confirmed over the next few days. So by the time you listen to this, maybe some of the facts might change. Um, the kind of summary here is that Biden's budget has been announced. It's about $6 trillion, which is the highest levels pretty much since World War II. Again, historian Trung Fan might be able to share more context on that. Um, but this is a bigger, it, it actually relates to crypto and it relates to the kind of narrative we've spoken about over the last few weeks. Well, it's like Stanley, right? He, this is all part of what Stanley Druckenmiller is saying. Is it's, you're, you're still doing emergency type measures. You don't need to pump the economy, yeah. 
right? So can we explain what this means though? Go on, Jack. I was just going to ask, is it 6 trillion adjusted for inflation or is that like, like doll, like real dollars? I think that's now. Well, I don't know about that. $6 trillion in 1940 is, is a different. No, I think it's, I think when they say sustained levels, of spending since World War Two, that must be inflation adjusted. I'm okay, sure. So he's saying, okay, I see what he's saying. He's saying five trillion over the next, uh, over the next decade. It looks like he's saying that. And hilarious, he says inflation is only going to hit two point three percent. I don't think we need to get the weeds too much. These these yeah. are projections. They don't really. They, I mean, they're fucking projections, right? And a lot of it is just politics. Literally, in the sense of like, hey, we're going to give uh, uh, electric vehicle chargers a hundred million. And all, a lot of that money is going to end up going to waste or not making it. So a lot of this is just optics. But if, if it looks like, if it does look like it's aggressive, it's just more of the, uh, and why Pomp was, yeah, we, we have to mention Pomp at least once an episode. He was yeah. like, somebody needs to like pull these guys in the line. It's the same thing. It's like, you don't need to have emergency level spending when there's no longer an emergency because the government crowds out the private sector. So that there's a state, there's a saying in economics about crowding out. And that's what happens is if the government spends too much, they're the ones borrowing the money. You're not letting the private sector, which is in many ways, much better at allocating resources, not perfect, obviously. But uh, that, that would be the big concern here if they're crowding out the private market and then they might be stoking inflation. And, and just to bring another COVID comparison in, it's like deploying capital through the like political infrastructure of America yeah. is an absolute shit fest. Totally, totally shit fest. It's a shit yeah. fest, right? So wait, just to, to dumb this, let's dumb this down for me. Yeah. So let's say what what is wrong with? I'm just gonna start from scratch. What is wrong with printing so much money and spending so much money? Do you understand? I think most listeners can understand the idea of if there's, if there's more of something, if there's a greater supply and, uh, sorry, if there's greater demand or something, supply stays the same, the price of the item that's being supplied will go up, right? Decre- so in this yeah. case, if you're printing money, you're supplying more and more, I mean, you're putting more money into the system, right? So the prices of things are going to rise just because everything's going to get bid up. And the problem is you don't need to do that when there isn't an emergency. Like these government levers should be used in emergency times for two reasons. Number one is they can actually save an economy during emergency times. But the second thing is you lose credibility. And if a government loses credibility, that it makes it very difficult for them to do enact in uh, whether that's financial markets or with their constituents, right? Because if you are... Uh, printing money and, and putting money to waste, that's going to seem very badly. If you were looking at this $5 trillion building, like we don't need X, Y, Z. It's like what Jack said is like, why are we giving more resources to people that clearly have no idea where this money should be going? So I think for me, that is the negative side of if the real perception is, hey, why do we have a $5 trillion budget if we don't need it? That to me is a negative side. Yeah. Can I just add one other thing from my understanding yeah. as well is that if... This, let's say basically inflation is higher than what is being reported is what a lot of people think because the right. way and not to get in the weeds of it but the way we measure inflation is called like cpi inflation and right. essentially it's like a, ba- a basket of goods or whatever and you're saying are the average uh prices going up uh, a certain percent i think yeah, it's basket so, of goods. Why is that so the, the reason why that's well for investors it's bad because the one way you deal with inflation is to raise interest rates and and, interest- and that yeah, that uh, is can cause problems with others. Interest so, rates really is the cost of money, right? You, the, the best way to think about interest rates is like 
It's like a price tag for money. So if you go to the store and you see a banana and it says 99 cents, that's how much a banana costs, right? But interest rates are the price for money. So if, if, if it's 1% over a year now, but tomorrow because interest rates rise is 5%, money has just gotten more expensive, right? And, it, and that means to borrow money, it costs more. And it more also means more. you're incentivized to, to basically save because there's on the flip side, you are earning interest as well. But but the reason I was going to, the one thing I want to add, and this is something I've heard Pump talk about, so I don't know, I haven't verified this, but this is his point of view, is that this really disproportionately, to use our word of the day, uh, it impacts the middle classes and people who are poorer because what happens is um, assets increase in price. So if you're right. someone who owns assets, whether that's real estate, stocks or whatever, or you're exactly, or yeah, or apes, <laughs> the price of price will continue rising yeah. is the theory. Whereas for, for, the, for the bottom 50%, you don't have that. You and have all you're, you're just getting hit by inflation. You're going to have to go pay more for that banana yeah. or your, the cinema yeah, ticket or whatever. <laughs> So that's why it's potentially a bad thing. Um, I think the flip side, people in the government would say, well, we actually need a little bit of inflation to stay healthy. And I no, think that- Inflation is not, uh, you should have inflation because it's indication the economy is growing. But hyperinflation or right. high, inflation that's too high can be a problem for that reason. Well, it's also an issue for the United States because if the, if the tool you have to battle inflation is to raise interest rates, you have to remember the United States debt is going out of proportion, right? So uh, Stanley Druckenmiller wrote in his op-ed basically that you're headed to a world now in five, 10 years where the United States will be paying 30% of its GDP just to cover interest. And if they can't do that, then the people around the world, savers will stop lending them money, like Japanese savers, German savers. And if you can't get people to lend you money, the, the bonds, the interest rates will go up on those too. So like, there's this cascading effect. I, the, the best counter argument I, I heard for it too is like, if, you know, if you could deploy that capital efficiently and build better infrastructure, you're reducing friction in the long run, which is good, right? Yeah. Like if you're able to build better infrastructure, but then you have to, like that narrative relies on actually building better infrastructure. If you go to right. any city in the States and compare it to almost <laughs> like any European city of size or Asian European, city of size. A new Asian city, right? It's, it's just night day. It's just yeah. next level difference can yeah. you imagine jfk being the gateway for foreigners to come to america imagine you never visited america before and you landed Mate, that's JFK, exactly what happened to me right no <laughs> wait, wait did you guys both land at jfk you're like what yeah, the yeah, yeah. fuck is yeah. this yeah <laughs> you know what i mean but you go to you go to hong kong you go to the airport this is the greatest like thing the future yeah. yeah so dude I mean, this is the jack that, that's to jack's point he's like Okay, great. That sounds great in theory, but man, have you seen JFK? Yeah, which, you know, counter to all of the shit we talk about in this podcast is like an argument for like centralization and like, you know, control from top to bottom is how you get like, if you're like the way the American system works, like you print money at the government level, then you have to distribute it to the federal level. Then even if you're doing like private contracts, the the, the subway system that I used to live next to in, in Brooklyn, they did. They have to post all the details of every renovation right. they do. And it's like, this thing costs $21 million, this thing. We're going to do a six-week renovation of this station. It looked exactly the same afterwards. It, like, they didn't even, <laughs> didn't, even power wash the, didn't even power wash the stone. Like, what the hell is going on here? Train wasn't oh. any, like, faster or less noisy, or maybe they were doing something on the tracks, but, mate, just burning money. I can't remember yeah, the exact stat, but it's... The cost to build a mile of tunnel in New York 
over the past hundred years has gone up a hundred X in oh, real yeah. dollar terms. Well, dude, I'll, uh, so the last thing I'll leave, I know they're running long here is the, about Patrick Carlson. So if you go to patrickcarlson.com, he has a blog, I think it's patrickcarlson.com slash fast. He literally just has a blog about the fastest uh, like infrastructure uh, human projects ever made. And, you know, he'll talk about uh, how long it took to make like the spacecraft, how long it took to make co- the mRNA vaccine. And he's just saying, just get, like, if you look through time, like 50 years ago, we used to be able to do shit pretty fast. But like, like you talk about Jack is like, there's like this, this subway line or this bus line in, in, uh, in, in San Francisco, which compares it against, it's been going on for 20 years. Oh they spent $5 billion God. on it. And it's not done yet. And this is what happens when it gets stuck in the muck of the gears of government, right? So I think that, listen, we're turning into like an Ayn Rand uh, book. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say but, this again. Yeah, yeah. I, like, on, uh, yeah, I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. It's just like, I, I kind of agree with both sides of the argument to some extent, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah you need sides. to improve stuff. Like yeah. if, if nobody spends money, like this, this country will be an absolute wasteland in no time. <laughs> right. And, and you could sit in your house and say like, yeah, I'll take responsibility for myself, but it, it would get pretty messy. And then on well, the like, other end, last March when uh, COVID hit, uh, Jack was wearing a mask around the house with a uh, <laughs> shotgun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> went, went yeah, just in case. I got like a, 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 a little device to distill puddle water into, you know, I could drink it. Um, oh yeah, God. man, it, there's, there's a healthy medium somewhere, but it does make you think about like how effectively can capital be deployed? Cause that is really what you're talking about. Oh, that's like something that should be put into the, you know, yeah, the equation 100%. that you're measuring. And oh, I just man. don't see that being done very well. I didn't see that. I didn't see this red turn coming. I didn't see this. I know. I know. We, got, we got real deep <laughs> and it got real serious, but I think it was yeah. productive. You, you explained it pretty well. Um, all right, guy, if you made it this far, thanks for being here. Yeah, Do us a favor. You. Make sure you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, on YouTube. Uh, there's timestamps if you want to switch between. Write us a review if you can. Tell a friend, and we'll see you next week. Anything else, boys? Before we kick out? No, that's perfect. That was, Thank that you was guys. beautiful, that was awesome. man. That was uh, it's like I've done it before. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. See you next week. <laughs>